Hello, and welcome to the Seek Learning Podcast. I'm Casey Paul Griffiths, a professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University. I'm also president of the BYU Latter-day Saint Educator Society. Seek Learning is designed to bring you the best in educational research to assist teachers in professional, home, and church settings. If you like what you hear in this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, or leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Today's topic is a bit personal for me. We're talking about special education, particularly among children with autism. This resonates with me because I am a father of a child who has autism. My wife and I first noticed some strange behavior when our son was about 18 months old. He didn't talk very much, but he could repeat verbatim almost all the songs from Blue's Clues. He also had a cousin who was born only a few months after he was, and we noticed that our son just wasn't showing the developmental signs as quickly as his cousin was. We just kind of assumed he was a late bloomer, but then we noticed the gap becoming further and further between him and his cousin. Finally, my mother-in-law, after watching an episode of the Oprah Winfrey show about autism, suggested to us that maybe we should have our son tested. We took him to a specialist and found that he hit all the marks for a child with autism. At first, I was reeling, but my wife immediately went to work. She educated herself, found the best programs, practices, and set about becoming our son's personal therapist. She spent several hours every day working with our son, helping him hit developmental marks, and even adjusting his diet to see if that would help. Along the way, we had a great team of educators and therapists who helped us. Our community, our ward, everyone we knew offered their help. And today, my son still struggles in certain social situations, but he's come a long way, and we owe a lot of people for the love and help they gave us over the years. Well, our guest today, Dr. Ryan Kellams, is an expert in providing quality education around the world, especially for children with special needs. He sat down with Seek Learning to help us understand how education can change the church, the world, and what we can do to help our children that struggle with special needs in every place that we are. Welcome to Seek Learning. In the lives of Latter-day Saints, education is central to their religion and its practice. For members of the church, education is not merely a good idea, it's a commandment. At the David O. McKay School of Education at Brigham Young University, scholars carry out different studies every year in the field of education. In this podcast, we speak with these scholars to find out what they discovered about education and what does it mean for Latter-day Saints. How can these findings be applied in home and gospel settings? Finally, what inspired them to become an educator, and how has it affected their lives? Education is the difference between wishing you could help other people and being able to help them. This is the Seek Learning Podcast, presented by the BYU Latter-day Saint Educator Society. Our guest today is Dr. Ryan Kellams. Dr. Kellams is an associate professor and program coordinator of the special education undergraduate programs in the Counseling, Psychology, and Special Education Department at Brigham Young University. Prior to coming to BYU, Dr. Kellams was on the faculty at the University of Oregon, where he worked with the National Post-School Outcome Center. One of Dr. Kellams' areas of expertise is using the latest technology to assist students with disabilities as they transition to life after school. Prior to completing his doctoral degree, Dr. Kellams was a high school teacher, where he worked in both rural and urban settings as a special education and social studies teacher. 
Dr. Callums is currently conducting studies exploring the use of augmented reality and live animation to teach different skills, social, academic, and independent living, to individuals with disabilities such as autism. Ryan recently sat down with Joe Backman from our team to talk about his research and how we can use education to help students with these disabilities. Let's join their conversation. I'm really excited to hear about your research and uh, the applications that we can bring to our our audience. Your research that we're focusing on is really the work that you've done using virtual characters, avatars, augmented reality, some pretty big words here, to help individuals with autism develop social skills and other skills. Tell us about this research. Yeah, so this research is kind of the culmination of all of the things I've been doing throughout my career. Um, I had um, a moment when I was teaching high school and as a lot of teachers do, I was really struggling to keep my students' attention. And then I realized in talking to some of my students or some of my students' parents that um, these same students I couldn't get to pay attention for five minutes during my class would go home and be on video games or things for eight hours. And so in my mind, I was like, it's not that this child can't pay attention it's how am I getting their attention? And so I started at that point to kind of look at, are there different things or different ways that I can engage students in a more meaningful way towards them? I was really careful that I didn't want to condition them where they would only communicate with an avatar or um, with an animated character. But I thought, you know, if we can work with these kids and they're more likely to pay attention to an avatar or an animated character, then maybe that will generalize into um, better communication or better social skills uh, with humans. That was kind of the, the genesis of it is how can we better engage students and get them to pay attention more in a meaningful way because we know when we look at the research, the more students are engaged in instruction, the better the outcomes are, the more that they learn. Well, I loved watching the YouTube videos that you have on this and uh, the BYU Today spotlight on, on this work and how inspiring to see these children with autism so engaged and talking with this little character, I forgot the fish's name. Marla. Marla looks a lot like a Finding Nemo character, and they loved it. And then to see them transfer those skills to a human being and to practice that and to see this is really helping them learn those skills. Uh, what have been some of the cool experiences through this research? So... Um... There's been a, a lot of interesting experiences that I've had. I remember there was times where we were doing um, some data collection and the student had interacted with Marla where Marla had provided some um, social skills instruction about how to start a conversation in a meaningful way. And then we actually had the child then practice with their parent um, in doing that. And I remember the parent coming up to me and saying, you know, that was a was just awesome. I think they may have been even close to tears that that their child was able to come over and, and have a conversation with them. We also had them practice with their, their siblings and things. And while this is not necessarily applicable to every single student with autism, just having those kinds of one-on-one -on -one meaningful interactions between a child and their parents or a child and their siblings, I think to me is kind of validating the path we're going down or the, the promise the, of this potential research. That's amazing. I, how that's changed and blessed that family's life uh, that you just shared is is miraculous. 
And what a fun way uh, through uh, virtual animation and, and other ways to really help them develop those skills. And I found it fascinating in the article that you, your review of the literature talked about how they can even learn skills about toileting or in a, in a scary situation, um, different things that they can do. Tell us just a little more about those pieces. Yeah, so the heart of my research to date has really been using video-based instruction to teach individuals with autism. So there's a, a line of research called video modeling or video prompting, and that's where we, we teach skills using videos. And so anybody who's ever gone to YouTube to learn how to change the oil in your car or to learn how to make um, a creme brulee or whatever it is, you've, you've utilized video modeling. And so my thinking was, can we utilize video modeling to teach a wider array of skills? And there is a subset of skills that are difficult to teach um, using real-world scenarios. And so an example of that that you mentioned is toileting. And so toileting is a skill that is essential. It's one that most people take for granted. But for students that may have significant disabilities – or um, autism and need extensive supports, toileting is a skill that they need to learn. But due to the um, content of that video, you can't really show all of the steps in that. But you can if you're using an animated character or those, those kinds of things. So there are things, whether it's sensitive in nature, there's other things such as um, emergencies where you wouldn't want to create that in a real-world situation. So like learn, leaving... A building that's on fire. You wouldn't want to start a building on fire so you could simply film somebody that's leaving that building. And so there are certain scenarios or situations where animation does lend itself very well to teaching individuals with autism. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, I once saw a t-shirt that I loved. Uh, it said, autism is my superpower. What's yours? What are your thoughts about that? You know, that's... Um... That's an awesome shirt. I started working with these kids as I was teaching high school, and I just absolutely fell in love with them. I just thought this is the most wonderful group of kids. I want to dedicate my life to this. And I think as far as the, the T-shirt goes, um, there's a saying that says, if you know one child with autism, you know one child with autism. And so um, one of the things that I think that I try and focus on is trying to be positive, to have a positive-based approach to education. And for me, what that means when I'm working with kids that have um, limited abilities, um, it's not so much a limited ability approach, it's they have different abilities. And so while a child with autism may struggle in social settings, I mean, autism primarily is a social-based disability, um, these kids have so many other strengths that we need to focus on. And so there's kids with autism that are wonderful with organization. They, they really thrive with set routines and those kinds of things. And so how can we take their strengths and build upon those strengths in doing that? And so when I hear, or I hear that, you know, autism is my superpower, I really think, you know, there are things that those children are better at than maybe a neurotypical child. And so how do we find those things? Because they're different for each child and really build upon those strengths. In, in doing that. So I think it's just a matter of looking at and knowing the child, um, whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent, um, an educator, 
and really taking the time to find out what those child's strengths are and how do we build upon those strengths to give them um, a meaningful life. That's, that's the big thing for me. It's teach, teaching these skills, um, I think, will help. But the, the big takeaway for me is how is this going to improve their life in, in that sense? I love that. Well, as you said, that every, every student is so different, and especially children with autism. I'll, I mentioned as, as principal, I would often uh, meet, greet the students as they'd get off the bus, and I'd give them knuckles. And some would be bouncing and so excited to see me and would pound my knuckles. Others would just glare at me and never gave me the knuckles. And each one was so unique, and I loved each of them for who they were. And uh, I love what you share about the perspective of looking at their strengths. I think as educators, as parents, that's hard to do sometimes with any children. And to have that focus on the strengths and what do they bring, that asset-based thinking, and how strong that is, but especially with, with students, children with special needs, with autism, because it's so significant. Ryan has introduced some interesting applications of technology for students with special needs. This is great on a university level, but how do we apply this kind of technology in our classrooms, in schools, church, or home? I have a child with autism at home. What could I draw from Ryan's research to help me with him? That's the focus of the next part of our conversation. How can technology and virtual tools help engage learners more deeply, especially those with special needs? That's a wonderful question. When I, I first started the project, I was utilizing some pretty specialized um, technology. And so I had a, a special laptop um, that had um, a fairly expensive computer program on it because that was the only thing I could find that would allow me to um, control the avatar. And what I was looking for is that when I talked, the avatar automatically talked. And so when the child was having a conversation with the avatar, it actually was a real world conversation. And so when I explained to people kind of what it looked like, um, imagine that you are uh, an individual and you are having a conversation. Earlier you mentioned that the avatar we were using was a fish. And so imagine that you're talking to Nemo from Finding Nemo. And when you say something to Nemo, so we would ask a child, and this is a real world example, we would ask a child, you know, what's your favorite food? And they would then say, my favorite food's pizza. And then immediately we could ask back, well, what kind of pizza do you like? And so we were able to have that real world conversation, which is very different than a scripted conversation. A scripted conversation would say, what's your favorite food? They would say pizza, and then we would move on to the next question. But with this kind of um, application, um, we were able to um, have a real world conversation with them. But I knew in my the back of my mind that, you know, this may be applicable for speech and language therapists or schools that have um, a large budget, those kinds of things. Um, but my real big goal was to get this to the masses. And so I kind of looked at that as what I call foundational research. And that's kind of proving proof of concept that this does work. You know, students were more engaged with the avatar than they were with the real person. We, we found that. Um, and so what the next stage of our research was, and I think how this is applicable to families, to grandparents, to um, teachers, 
is that we have actually moved on with our research and we are now conducting the same kinds of research using the feature um, called Animojis. If you're familiar with um, Apple phones, um, they have a feature called Animojis. And how I'll explain that is imagine having an emoji and that's where you send a picture instead of a, a text. But Apple has the ability now where you can actually hold the phone up to your face and it will recognize your face and then create that um, an emoji will then take on your expression. So if you're smiling, then the an emoji will then be smiling. And so we actually figured out a way where we can have FaceTime calls. And FaceTime calls are essentially calls where you can see the other person and they can see you. But there's actually a feature where you can superimpose an animated face on your own face. So now how we're doing our research is the individual we're working with or the child with autism actually is actually at their house and we're in a different physical location and then we have a digital or animated character superimposed upon our face so we'll use a robot so we have a robot so when the child's communicating with me they're actually not communicating with me directly they're communicating with a robot face and I'm able to express emotion. I'm able to have a conversation with them and those kinds of things. So I think for families, um, there's the potential there where they already have the technology. If you have one of the newer iPhones or an iPad, um, a lot of them have that capability. And so this is something that's not going to cost you potentially anything to start implementing, whether it be with your child or with students you work with in your classroom. And so it has that potential. And I will say it's not something, and in all education, not every intervention works for every child. And so there may be some students that really thrive in this kind of an environment, and there may be some students where it's just not for them. But my thinking is it's a very low risk environment. So you could try this as a parent and you may be able to have conversations with your child um, in a manner that you may not at other times. And so your child may engage better with um, an animated elephant or something than they would with you as an individual. And so it just kind of gives that that potential. I love that. I love your message of wanting to get this out to the masses. Um, and how cool. I didn't make that connection. Yeah, my kids have been playing with that. Uh, what's it called? The An emoji? The animojis or memojis. They're, they're, they're on there. Some of our listeners may have children, family members, or work with individuals with special needs. What advice could you give to these individuals? That's a great question. So as far as advice that I would give to individuals that may have a family member or work with children with special needs, um, I would say that um, just to continue to work with them in the best manner possible um, and to have really high expectations. When I'm working with pre-service teachers, I think um, one of the things that I really get across to them is that these students you are working with are capable than far more than you ever probably understand they can do. And one of the examples I'll use is that a lot of times we use age-based ability levels. And so that means that, you know, my child's functioning at the level of a four-year-old or my child's functioning at the level of a two-year-old. Um, I was over at my um, in-law's house the other day, and um, their two-year-old had a, a phone out, 
and was flipping and was swiping through a smartphone and like watching videos and stuff. And so when somebody in my mind says my child's functioning at the level of a three-year-old, I'm like, that's great. That means they know how to, they can learn how to use a smartphone. It would be much better to set extremely high expectations and have them not meet those expectations than to set very low expectations and have them meet those expectations. And so I think it's just about setting those expectations, giving them a chance to succeed, and also giving them chances to fail. I think a lot of times parents and teachers don't want to put their children in a position where the children won't be successful. I'll look back at my life. Some of the times that I've grown the most, whether it's on my mission or in schooling, are times where I've struggled or times where I haven't been successful. That has taught me a lot. And so I think just providing those opportunities. And to be honest, a lot of times I'll talk to parents and they'll ask me, you know, like, what can I do to help prepare my child with disabilities to live a happy and productive life? And I say, well, are you providing the same opportunities for that child that you did for your other child? And I understand there are different abilities and different levels, but let's go back to the really basic things like, are you allowing your child with a disability to pick what they're having for lunch? That may seem like a very nominal or a very um, easy thing to do, but how do you ever expect your child to live on their own if you're never even allowing them to pick what they're having for lunch. And so for a lot of parents, it's just, are you giving them the same level of autonomy? Are you asking them, you know, what activities do you want to do? Um, what do you want to eat? You know, th those kinds of things. And I'll, I'll be honest, as a parent myself, having three kids, it's far easier for me to do things. I, when I look at the chores we do on Saturday, my life would be so much easier if I just did the chores myself. I mean, just immensely easier, but that wouldn't provide the same growth for my children in learning how to do those things. And so with kids with um, disabilities, are you providing those same opportunities? Because they, they need as much, if not more, opportunities to learn skills than their non-disabled peers. I love that message of having high expectations and better to set high expectations and not reach those, but to get higher, reach higher than they ever would have, uh, than to set low uh, expectations for them. It, it reminded me of a, a classroom that really went after high expectations for their students, and it was a life skills classroom in our district, and the teachers decided together as a team, there were two classrooms, we're not going to make any decision that the students can make. And anything that they did, they would always pose questions and put it before the kids. And at first it was a transition, but as they went with this throughout the school year, and it's been now several years, I'll never forget one of the moms saying her, her daughter, who was in a wheelchair and had a lot of significant needs, Mom, I can do this. She says, I was shocked. And she started taking on more and more, and she really was the decision maker and was so empowered. So I love what you share there. Uh, it's a beautiful example. Do you have a specific example of an inspiring teacher or parent or even a, a teacher at, at church that has helped a, a child with disabilities? The example that immediately came to mind was not necessarily um, a teacher, but I'm going to share an example of a student. This individual had Down syndrome, and he owned his own vending machine business. And 
in the course of that vending machine business, he would run it just like a regular business. And so that means that he would hire and fire employees. He had all of these people working for him and all of these different things. And he he realized that he wanted some time off and that he was the only person that knew how to do some of these things. And so he actually had a friend that had a pretty significant support needs with autism. And so he had difficulty communicating. Um, he had some cognitive difficulties, but he wanted to teach his friend how to um, unload vending machines and how to restock vending machines. And so I actually worked with this individual and we created a series of videos that his friend with autism would then watch. And it was just so fun to see this individual with Down syndrome run his own business and then to be able to teach his friend who had autism to be one of his employees. Um, and this individual who had Down syndrome, he actually um, owned his own house and had all of these other things. And I just thought, what a wonderful example of what is possible for somebody. Um, I, I think when you start looking at some of these kids, it's really easy to see everything they can't do. But why don't we just kind of shift that and think about, you know, what could their life potentially be? And here was this individual and his friend just living the greatest life possible. What an inspiring message. Uh, you reminded me of one of the greatest experiences I had growing up. We had in our young men's classes uh, a, a child when he was about three almost drowned. And uh, so he couldn't speak, couldn't walk, and he had uh, a lot of disabilities. And it was one of the happiest people I have ever known in my life. And I'll never forget, actually, how technology changed his life. And this was 25, almost 30 years ago. But he received a, a computer where he, his father would help him type in the sacrament prayer. And it read the, the sacrament prayer that he had typed in in a robotic voice. But I remember being able to hold the microphone there and just feeling the power of the priesthood and the spirit overcome me that the priesthood is working through this, this young man. And uh, since then he's passed away, but I will always remember those experiences of him exuding joy and happiness, even though he couldn't say a word to us until he got that computer. And just thank you for reminding me of that uh, experience there. I love it. Now that we know a little bit about Ryan's research and its application in our teaching, we always like to take the last part of our conversations and get a little more personal, ask our guests about their faith, about how it's affected their teaching, and how education has helped them build their testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, for this third segment of our uh, podcast, we love to learn a little more about you, and especially how faith has blessed your life as an educator. Um, share with us, yes, how education has built your faith. So that's a, a really interesting question and one that I've spent some time thinking about. Um, as somebody who um, has dedicated their life to education, there's been times in my life where I'm like, why am I going to graduate school for so long? Or why am I doing all of these things? And one of the things I come back to is there's not very many things we can take with us um, after this life, but the knowledge we gain here is one of those things. And so I, I look at that and I, I think to myself, not only does it make me feel better about all of the things that I've learned, 
but it also gives me a passion to work with those individuals um, that may have disabilities to help them learn everything that they possibly can because it will benefit them um, in the next life. I think sometimes there's um, a mentality that, you know, it's not that we don't need to work with these individuals, but that um, things will change for them in the next life and those things. And I'm not saying it, that's not the case, but I think we really need to have the mentality that we should focus on providing them with qual high quality instruction that's going to benefit their life here on earth. And it's really important to understand the family dynamics related to individuals that may have um, disabilities, because it's not just something that affects that individual. It's something that affects their family in a very um, significant way. It's something that affects the, the neighborhood. It's something that affects the ward. It's something that affects their school system. And so if we can provide these individuals with instruction that's going to lead to more autonomy and those kinds of things, it's going to bless the lives of everybody they interact with, um, especially their families that they worked really closely with. So that's one way that, that faith has impacted me as an educator. Um, another way that, that faith has in, impacted me as an educator is I f have felt so blessed throughout my life that I have been um, able to pursue my passions through education, whether that's through my research as a professor or as an undergraduate studying at a university or receiving my um, doctorate degree and that kind of work. And I, I just know that um, for me, um, good instruction is good instruction. And so what that means is sometimes we, I think, well, separate, you know, what we learn in school or what we learn in church and what we learn through our friends and using different pedagogies and those kinds of things. But for me, what it comes down to is good instruction is just good instruction. And, you know, whether that's instruction in the sciences, whether that's instruction through the Sunday school, um, those kinds of things. And so I think by having a career in education, I'm helping to develop what good instruction looks like. In, in a very practical sense, I think that I'm furthering God's purpose by investigating and studying ways that we can have more effective instruction. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. I love your words about uh, the impact this has on a family and even a community, and made me think of the scriptures that talk about uh, who sinned here. Was it the parents? This child's blind. And no, this is an opportunity to see the hand of God and his power. Um, I'm not quoting it exactly as it is, but, but that message of uh, really these children with autism, children with disabilities, uh, bring a dynamic into our lives, into our communities, and into a home and family into a ward that can bless the lives of those around us as we all come together as a village to help raise this child. And your your words have been inspiring. It's been wonderful to, to hear you talk through these things. One last thing I wanted to talk about and ask you about. Um, you, I've learned that you received the Fulbright Scholarship to go to Budapest, Hungary. Will you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, this is something I'm I'm really excited about. So when I was younger, I had the opportunity to to live in Budapest while my dad did a Fulbright scholarship there. And so I've kind of always wanted to go back. Um, I've always tried to stay connected to the Hungarian people in their community in one way or another. And um, recently I've had the opportunity to apply for and I was granted a Fulbright scholarship. And I'll actually be spending um, half of next year um, teaching and doing research at a university in Budapest. Um, and in doing that, I'll be working um, very closely with professors there that utilize um, technology to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Um, I was over in Hungary in December of 2019 working with these professors. And one of the things that I've realized in my international work, I've done work in Hungary. I've also done international work in the Marshall Islands. And I've done work in Guyana, as I mentioned earlier, in special education, is while the cultures are very different, the needs of the individuals um, with disabilities are very similar in, in doing that. And I've also found that the people that work with these individuals are just the some of the greatest people out there. And so it was so fun to work with these individuals and these professors. And while they speak a different native language, um, we all have the same goal. And that goal is just to um, enhance the lives of these individuals that we're looking for. Well, congratulations. That's really exciting. And Thank you. We're happy for you and your family. And just how amazing your work has impacted so much here, right in our state, in our nation, but also globally. And so grateful for all the work that you've done. And thank you for this conversation. I've, I've really appreciated and enjoyed this. Thank you. And I would just want to echo, if, if anyone has any questions about any of my research or any questions or anything, please feel free to reach out to me. You can just Google me and find my email address at BYU, but I'd be happy to talk to anyone. I really want to do whatever I can do to help um, people out there and answer any questions they may have. I always love collaborating on different projects with different people. We want to offer our thanks to Ryan Kellams and Joe Backman for their time today. The Seek Learning Podcast is produced by the BYU Latter-day Saint Educator Society in cooperation with the McKay School of Education. I'm Casey Paul Griffiths, and I serve along with Michael Leonard as the executive producers of the podcast. We also receive assistance from Joe Backman, David Boren, and Heather Seferovich. Editing and production for this episode was carried out by our wonderful students at the McKay School with our theme and music composed by Alistair Schwerman. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you heard, you can help us grow the podcast by subscribing or writing a review whenever you receive your podcast, or give the Society a like or comment on Facebook and Instagram. The Latter-day Saint Educators Society holds an annual conference every June to provide inspiration and information for those of you teaching out there in the field. We hope that you'll join us in June, and you can find more information on our webpage. Just Google Seek Learning Podcast. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. This has been Seek Learning.